My opening text will be in Romans 3, 10 through 12. We kind of know this is the quote-unquote total depravity verse, right? Let me read this to you. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together come, become profitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So that verse describes the um, human being before God gets a hold of you. Okay? Before God gets a hold of you, it says, you're not righteous. Before God gets a hold of you, you don't understand anything spiritually. Before God gets a hold of you, you're not looking for God. Before God gets a hold of you, you're out of the way, spiritually speaking. Before God gets a hold of you, you're unprofitable. And before God gets a hold of you, you don't do any good. Now, I want to share my experience because I lived my life for 26, 27 years pretty happy. It was in a very worldly way. I had a very good job. I had a very good income. I had a very nice car. I had a very low golf handicap. I had a very pretty girl on my arm. And I had a lot of letters after my name. And I was happy, as the world would define it. But all of a sudden, God got a hold of me and that lifestyle that was, from a worldly standpoint, so quote-unquote successful, became very frustrating. And I started seeking after God. See, I had a God-shaped hole, and I was looking for something to put in there, and a nice European sports car didn't do it. A single golf course, a big bank account, it didn't fit. The only thing that would fit in there, and I was searching for God. But this verse says, there are none that seek God. I didn't know who Jesus was. Matter of fact, someone told me about Joseph, and the only Joseph I knew was Mary's wife. I didn't even know there was an Old Testament Joseph. Someone told me the book of Romans. I says, no, that's where my old headquarters was for the church I used to be. I didn't even know there's a book of Romans. I was that ignorant. But I was searching for God. And the whole time I'm doing it, I'm going through the yellow pages and I'm going for a church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and another one Wednesday and I'm doing that for a year. And everybody's telling me these, these different things of these different denominations are telling me what I need to be looking for and what I need to be saved. And I keep running across this verse. There are none that seek God, but I'm seeking God. Dead people don't seek God. So I finally came to the conclusion that God grabbed a hold of me. Amen? I just need someone to tell me about him. This phrase right here that we see in Romans 3, 10 through 12, it's not something new. Paul was actually quoting the Old Testament. When we go to Psalm 14, 2 and 3, he's basically saying the same thing. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand that seek after God. They were all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So Paul didn't just make this up. This has been on the books for a long time. And just if he didn't get it the first time, if you go to Psalm 53, he said it again. Okay? 
God looked down from heaven. This is Psalm 53, 2 and 3. And looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that didn't understand, that did seek God. Every one of them has gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Wow. How does that happen? Well, by nature, out of Adam, from the genes of Adam, we're a mess. And messes don't clean themselves up. They need a kick in the seat of the pants. Again, I tell people, God was not an invited guest in my life. He was a party crasher. He crashed my party. Okay? He, 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 I didn't go looking for him. He went looking for me. Well, I can go by my feelings all I want, but does Scripture back up the experience I had? See, I was a hard case. There was a group of men at the bank where I worked, and they had a Bible study every Friday morning at 6 a.m. We all met in the conference room, and we met, and we had one of everything there. And I kept asking the same questions. And I, I couldn't find them. And, and I would go to a lot of churches. And, and believe me, even in Michigan, Michigan is a big reformed state on the whole west side of Michigan. That's where the Dutch reformed settled. If you ever look, all the publications come out of Grand Rapids. That's on the west side. There's a Calvin College on the west side. There's Reformed Baptists, Reformed Presbyterians, Reformed churches, Reformed Christians. It's flooded. I was exposed to that. I understood that. But then I just didn't understand how that if someone is not seeking God and cannot seek in God and won't seek God, and all of a sudden you see someone seeking God... How does that happen? Because there's life. There's life. I can't take the credit. I want to go forward and I want to show you a couple things. And I don't know if you know, but Acts 8, Acts 9, and Acts 10 are three conversions. Okay? And I love these three conversions because, oh, they're, they're, they're so thorough. When, when you look... And you see when Noah came off the ship, he had three sons, right? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. There is a child from each one of these sons in Acts 8, 9, and 10. You know what that tells me? God's got a people in every kindred, every tribe, and every tongue. Because they went throughout the world. And here is someone from Acts 8, 9, and 10, and that's what he's got. And I look at this, and here's the first one. He's an Ethiopian. He came from Ham, and they went south, right? Notice what he is doing. He doesn't have a clue who Jesus Christ is. But you know what he's doing? He's seeking God. How can a dead man seek God? Dead men don't seek God. God already installed in him a burning desire for the Lord, and he was just looking for someone to tell him about it. So it's just not my feelings, it's just not my experience, it's just not my reasoning. God put three men in the Bible right here to show that's exactly the way he operates. So if you're here looking for understanding, you know what? You didn't do that on your own. God put a life in you and he's working in you. I just need to figure out how to stay out of the way. Amen? Because we religionists get in the way all the time. Acts 8, 27 and 28. And again, read this whole account. It's good. 
but just to show. And he arose and went, and behold, a man, this is the preacher Philip, and he went and got the man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship and was returning and he was sitting in his, and he read Isaiah, which is the book Isaiah, the prophet. So here he was and he was a big shot. He was like, he was the treasure of the whole country of Ethiopia and at the time Ethiopia was a powerful country in the world. And he's sitting there and he's in charge and he asks for a leaf of absence. You know why? Because he's got a hole in his heart. And he thinks if he goes to Jerusalem, he can find a way to plug that hole. And he goes up to Jerusalem and he finds it. And guess what? It didn't get plugged. The law didn't plug his hole. So he's coming back home. And my, my favorite, I quote Brother J.R. Rakes all the time. He says he went to Jerusalem the same way. He came home from Jerusalem the same way he went, ignorant. Yep. He didn't take I-75, I-75 back. No, he went ignorant, he came back ignorant, and he still got that hole. And he pulls off at a rest area. And he's sitting on the tailgate of his pickup truck. I know I'm being silly, but that's what he's doing. And he's, and he's reading the Bible, and they go, who is this guy? And along comes Philip, and he says, let me tell you about Jesus. He's that guy. Do you understand? But the Bible says, none that seek after God and the eunuch seeking after a God. You know what? He was the Lord's then before the preacher got there. Got it? Okay. Case number two, Acts chapter nine. This is the, in a Paul. This would be the, the, the descendant of Shem. And you know him? He was a Jew and he was killing Christians. He wasn't seeking Jesus. Matter of fact, when Jesus knocked him and he says, hey, Paul, and he goes, who are you? He wasn't looking for him. Jesus found him. He didn't find him. And notice what it says. But the Lord saith unto him, go thy way, for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel. You know what God is doing? He's talking to the preacher. And he says, go talk to Paul. And the preacher says, I don't want to go talk to him. He's going to kill me. And God says, uh-uh. He says, for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name up before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him great things how I must suffer for my name's sake. And basically, he's telling this preacher, he says, go get him. He says, he's mine. Did he know Jesus yet? No. Was he looking for Jesus? No. He still had uh, the blood of Christians on his garments. Yes? How does that happen? Because God worked first. Paul can't take the credit. Let's go to one more. And we're going to come back and talk about him. Cornelius. He is a centurion. I guess that'd be the equivalent of a captain in the army. Okay? The Roman army. And they said Cornelius the centurion was a just man, one that feareth God, of a good report among all the nations of the Jews, and warned of, from God by an holy angel to send for thee into the house and to hear thy words. Notice what it says. It says Cornelius was a good man. But the Bible says there are none good. How can you have a good man when none are good and he hadn't met Jesus yet? How? How does that work? Because God showed up first. Here I am as a young man in my 30s. And I'm reading my Bible and, and, and I got a handle on 
uh, on the depravity, the, 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 and this is just one passage, there's many other passages, but none righteous, none that seeketh out God, none that doeth good, and I'm looking at this and I'm just condemned to my socks. And I'm looking for someone that actually believes this. Okay? And, and just for context, I just want to show that the rest of this passage, 13 through 18, just gets worse. Talking about the person before God gets a hold of them. It says their throat is an open sepulcher. Their tongue is used deceit, the poison of asps, whose mouth is filled with cursing and bitterness. Their feet are to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And in the paths of peace, in the way of peace, they know not. No peace, no fear of God in their eyes. How does that happen? Let me tell you a story. I'm looking for my birth certificate. And when I'm in their file cabinet in their basement, I stumble across a bunch of letters my uncle Lincoln wrote when he was in Korea. Now, my mom and dad had a huge family. They had 14 kids. My uncle Lincoln was number seven. My dad was number eight. And they were both in Korea together. Okay? I think Lincoln was in the Army and my dad was in the Marines. But they were over there at the same time. So now it's years later, maybe half a century later, and I'm sitting there and I'm looking and I'm looking through their records and I'm reading these letters and it wasn't just one or two, it was a whole year's worth. And I'm reading these letters from this 22-year-old boy and it's just eating my lunch. Because here I am in my early 30s and, and I've been converted. I confess Jesus is my Savior. I've, I've, I've put down a certain lifestyle. I've done a new style. I'm married. I'm, I'm, I'm having a baby. A new one's just about to be born. And I figured, well, I'm, I'm living the Christian life. And I'm reading the letters from this 22-year-old boy, and he's just absolutely putting me to shame with his fruits of the Spirit. But there's only one problem. He didn't know Jesus. Got it? He's writing these letters. And at the time, his mom's a widower. And he says, Mom, please cash my paychecks. Use them for your food. Buy my little brother, Dennis, number 14, a ball glove for his birthday. He's writing about reaching out to the orphans. He's writing about the courageous things he's doing in the battlefield. He's writing about the guilt he feels for his squadron as he's being promoted to a sergeant. He's writing advice to his older sister who is an officer in the Marines as a nurse. Good, sound financial advice. And I'm thinking, how's this coming from a 22-year-old boy? I'm in my 30s. I know Christ. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And this guy's just shaming me with the fruits of the Spirit. And then I'm walking into church, and every church I'm going to puts him in hell because he's 22. You understand what I'm saying? He's not 19. If he was 19, he'd be okay. But he's 22. How does that happen? Through grace, it happens. God was working in that boy. And I keep reading this. There's none righteous. There's none that understand. Their, their throats are vile. They're deceit. And I see nothing but fruits of the Spirit in his letters. It's just not like a fluke. It's just one letter, two letters. He's being nice to get something. No, this is a way of life. 
And you know, well, it's the times. People were more conservative back then. No, I read my dad's letters and my other uncle's letters. I love my dad. He got baptized in the 60s. He was a member of the church. But you know what? This, this 22-year-old's letters were just unbelievable. My, my uncle and my dad, my other uncle and my dad wrote letters like I would have wrote at 22. This guy just stood out. That guy was something remarkable. And he condemned me. He said, what kind of Christian I am going to church? You know, that, that guy's, what is it? So I read a passage of scripture, Romans 2, 13 through 15. This is why I can with confidence look at that man, even though he doesn't fit any of the theologies of the world, but I believe he fits the theology of scripture. I really believe that. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law are just before God. How in the earth can someone obey God's will and never heard God's will? Right? I got to tell a little story. I'm sorry. Graham and Kayla are going to hear this first, first time live one day less than 24 hours ago with their youngest son, Ezekiel, my grandson. It was the end of the night. It was time to go to bed. I said, Ezekiel, put the caps on all your markers, put your coloring books away, and it's time to go to bed. And he says, okay. And he turned around and started playing with something else. I said, Zeke, come here. I said, what did I tell you to do? He said, obey you. (laughs) And I said, something to the effect, how do you obey me? He said, I don't know. I says, well, how can you obey me if you don't know what the command was? So I tell him again. Okay, and he told me, get back here. What did I tell you to do? I don't know. Put the caps on the markers, put the markers in the bag, and put the coloring books away. What did I tell you? Put the caps on the marker, put the bag... Okay, you got it? Okay. So, so how could he obey me if he didn't know the instruction? Well, in that situation, that's the only way... I mean, he was great last night. Don't worry about him. That was just one instance at the end of the day. Okay? Love to have him. We'll have him any other time. But what I had to do is I had to take his face eyeball to eyeball. Repeat back the instruction before you could obey. But here's a kid. God didn't do that to him. How, how, how is this person here going to obey God's will without having heard God's will? Verse 14 tells us, For when the Gentiles which not have the law do by nature the things in the law, contained in the law, these not having a law are a law unto themselves. Wait a second. Romans 3 says people can't do it. They won't do it. They're incapable of doing it. But here's a group of people that are doing it. And I don't believe C.S. Lewis where God writes the law in every single person's heart. Because if that's the case, every single person would be justified and go into heaven and there's no hell. And I don't believe that. What's going on here? Oh, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing else, excusing one another. God wrote a law on someone's heart. And I believe that's what he did to me when I was 26 and 27. He wrote something on my heart that was bucking against my current behavior. 
He ruined me. Amen? He ruined my fun. He wrote something there, and that lifestyle was just conflict. And it was the only way I would settle it is, is by submitting to him and following that, and then there's the peace. Okay? So I believe there's scripture for what I experienced. I believe there's scripture for the case studies in Acts 8, 9, and 10. I believe that's the way it goes. Okay, let's keep on going. Here's the fruits of the Spirit. This is what's written on the heart. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I want to share something that happened just a couple weeks ago when Osby and I went into the prison. I was sitting at a table with five residents, and there was one that was very outgoing, a real nice, pleasant young man. He was a committed Christian. And uh, he kept going, and people would come up, and he'd say, he's good people. He's good people. And then someone would come up, and he wouldn't say nothing. Oh, yeah, 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 he's good people. What do you mean when you say that? He didn't say that they were Christians. You know what he was saying? He said, they're honest. Their word means something. They won't backstab you. They'll follow through on what they say they will do. Do you understand? They're, they're, they're not um, looking for attention. Their pride doesn't get a hold of them. But, but they don't know Christ. No, that's why they're here. They don't know Christ. How does that work? There are none good. There are none that do well because God's working them and the fruits show out. All right. I want to give you a completely different tract. Here's three verses. And if you have your Bibles, you've got to put them side by side, if you can do this. Look at the language, and I want you to fra- focus on the phrase, is born of God. Okay? Notice what it says, is born of God. These are right there in your King James Bible. The language is exactly the same. Ye know that he is righteous. Ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of God. No, no, it doesn't say, it doesn't say, will get born of God, is getting born of God. It says, is born of God. It's already a done deal. So wait a second. Brother Dolph, you're saying good works get you into heaven. I'm saying no way. Grace gets you into heaven. But when God gets a hold of you and those works are coming up, because none can do good. None can do righteousness, and here's somebody doing righteousness, and that one is born of God. Okay? Second verse, 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Is born of God. Well, that guy's so kind to everybody. Okay? And then the last one, this is the one we know. 1 John 5, 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Y'all, those are three evidences. Do you understand? But it only takes one evidence. And this is an example I've probably worn out with you over the years. Okay? In the front row, I've got a wife and a daughter. Don't worry, I won't embarrass you like I did Ezekiel, okay? 
I got a wife and a daughter. And, 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 and the judge says to Deborah, prove that Hope is your biological daughter. And she pulls out the birth certificate and he looks at it and there's a seal on it. And he looks at that and it says the mother is Deborah Painter. The daughter is Hope, born on this day, at this time, in this city, at this facility. That's an attestation. Okay, the judge says, that's your daughter. But what if she doesn't have a birth certificate? And we go to a laboratory, and they pull some blood out of Hope, and they pull some blood out of Deborah, and they match them together, and they look at the DNA, and they says, absolutely, without a doubt, this is your biological daughter. Right? To prove that she is Deborah's daughter, do I need both? No, just one or the other would do. Amen? That's all you need, one or the other. Well, that's what these things are. These are evidences. And the person that doeth good is born of God. The person that loveth others is born of God. The person that believes is born of God. This is an attestation. It's a testimony. It's an authenticity that you are God's child. Why? Because none do good. The only one that can do good are the one that God's worked in them. The only one that can seek after God is the one that God's worked in them. You're saying, so it doesn't matter if I believe in God? Whoa, wait a second. Yes, it does. What do you think we just spent the last four weeks talking about our relationship with God? Right? We were in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We know the beginning. We know the end. But what about the middle? The middle is our relationship with God. That makes all the difference in the world. So I'm talking to you about my Uncle Lincoln. Is his sonship secure? Yeah, but just think of all the peace he could have had in the foxhole. Do you understand? That's why we break our backs. That's why we risk. That's why the apostles risk their lives to share with people that. To share that peace. Not to make them children of God. To tell them that they are children of God. And the security and the peace that you have. My dad, I never met my uncle, my uncle Lincoln. He, he was killed just a couple of weeks before the, uh, the Korean conflict was over. It wasn't a war, it was just a conflict. But lots of soldiers died. And my dad actually had to be the official escort of the body back. So I never met him. And dad came back and, and uh, he... Um, shared a little bit about what was going on, but, uh, you know, again, I can't comprehend that. But just think of the peace he could have had. So, yes, we share the gospel. And when I share the gospel, if God hasn't worked, you know what? I'm just beating my head against the wall. But I'm not smart enough to figure out who God's worked in and who God hasn't worked in, so I tell everybody. And I let God sort it out. I'm not going to make that judge. I'm still looking for the first verse where God said, Dolph the judge, is that guy a child of God or not? How many times do we use Christian? Oh, he's not a child of God. We just want to excuse something, right? No, no, I don't do that. I just share it. Well, they're not ready to receive it. I'll try it again later on. Okay, but that's the way that goes. Notice that language. Okay. Three evidences, obedience, love, and faith. Let's go somewhere else. Here's three more verses. These are all in 1 John. Let me, I got to share this with you too. 
you already know that I'm weird. I'm just confessing it now. I'm weird. Okay. At this point, I'm, I'm, I'm back in my 30s, right? And I'm convicted of this doctrine, not knowing if there was a people on earth that actually believed what I thought the Bible said. So you figure out how my second son got his name, right? Lincoln. Fifteen months later, a third son was born. And guess what I named him? Reed John. I know trite. I get it. But look, the last three references were in 1 John. These three references are in 1 John. You notice what it says. It says, the person that keepeth his commandments dwell in God and God in him. Right? The person that love one another, God dwelleth in him and he in God. The person that confesses Jesus the Christ, God dwelleth in him and he in God. So not only does it say inborn of God, but there's a certain manifestation, there's a certain dwelling, there's a certain richness you get when you do these things. They're all the same. The language is the same. We just can't pick it up. I don't care about faith. I don't care about uh, works. All I care is is about love. Well, that's a pretty good evidence, and that's enough to show sonship. But you know what? That leaves you slacking in your relationship with God, right? Not sonship, fellowship, which we just concentrated on four weeks about, right? Okay. Okay, my time's going by quick. Three evidences of obedience, love, and faith. Let's go over here. Let's read the account of Cornelius. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Now, the, the event of Cornelius is, is absolutely remarkable because he knows nothing of Christ. Matter of fact, God tells him, go call Peter. When Peter shows up, the first thing he does is he falls on his knees and he starts worshiping Peter. And he says, Cornelius, get up. I'm just a man. Knock it off. I mean, that's how ignorant he is. But look at the fruits of the spirit of Cornelius before Peter gets there. Do you understand? But there's none that doeth good. There's none that seeketh after God. There are none that righteous. There's none profitable. No, he's just the opposite. Why? Because God worked on him. Okay, 10.1. There was a certain man of Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house and gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. And he saw a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel coming of, of God coming unto him and saying, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? Speaking to the angel. And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. God is taking notice of your prayers. How does that happen? He doesn't know Jesus yet, right? Because he is born of God. He that doeth God's commandments is born of God. He that loveth one another is born of God. He that hath faith is born of God. He's just lacking that third evidence. Yeah, I I stopped one short because I want to use the illustration. 
I was using the illustration of Deborah and my daughter. We got the birth certificate. We got the blood reports. And maybe we got the affidavits of the doctors and the nurses that delivered her. Okay? Would that be satisfy a judge in a court? Yeah. We got three different evidences all pointing to the same thing. One is only you need. Three is fantastic, but you only need one out of the three. Yes? Well, it's the same thing with obedience, love, and faith. Three is fantastic, but to show sonship, you only need one. And, and I'm seeing a couple of them here in this description of Cornelius. Verse 4, And when he looked on him and he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? He said, Thy prayers and thine alms come up from oil before God. Five. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodged with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel spake unto Cornelius, he was departed, and he immediately called his household servants and devout soldiers and them that waited on him continually. And he went and he declared all these things, and he sent them to Jabba. So, so he immediately obeyed. The, the Bible says, go get this preacher. And he went and sent his guys to get the preacher. Now, I'm going to skip a chunk of Scripture, because what's going to happen is, is God's going to have to deal with Peter. Peter doesn't want to preach to Gentiles. He thinks he's only supposed to preach to Hebrews. So God and him had to have a little session out there in the backyard. Okay? So that's what that is. Actually, it was on a rooftop. But they had their talk. So I'm going to pick up back where Cornelius jumps into the scene. So let's start pick up in 21. Once again, I'm charging you go home and read Acts 10. Make sure I'm not picking anything out of context. That's your job. Verse 21. So Peter finally shows up. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause before ye come, are come? And the two men that were sent by um, Cornelius, they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one that feareth God, of good report among all the nations of the Jews. He was a Roman centurion. Yes. He was over some Jerusalem, some Jews, and in that capacity, in that oppressive capacity, the Jews looked at Cornelius and he says, that's a good man. That's a good, you know, if if Rome's going to oppress us and they're going to have a man over us, we want Cornelius on top of it. He's a good man. Got it? That's his fruit. And he was warned of God by an holy angel and sent for thee into this his house, and to hear his words. Verse 23, Then called he him, and he lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So he went, and he brought seven brethren with him. Verse 24, And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, Cornelius waited for them, and he called together his kinsmen and his near friends. If we said we're going to have a special meeting and you called all your brothers and sisters and children and their spouses, how many would get all of them to come? No? You're laughing. Could you get 10 to come? Could you get two to come? Could you get one to come? This guy had a report. Do you understand? A rapport. Verse 24. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius, oh, I read that, verse 25. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, and he fell down at his feet and worshipped him. 
And Peter took him up saying, stand up, I'm, a man. I'm myself also a man. So he doesn't know lickety-split about the Lord. He thinks G- Peter's the guy. He says, no, no, get up. Verse 30. And Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting. Cornelius, you were fasting? Until the ni- this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of the Lord. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak to thee. Immediately I sent for thee. And thou hast done well, because thou art come. Now therefore are we all present before God to hear all the things that are commanded thee of God. You know what Cornelius is do? He's searching for God. He doesn't know who Jesus is, but he's searching for God. But there's none that seek God. But Cornelius is seeking God. Do you understand? I was not seeking God until the Lord discomforted me. And then I started seeking it. That's the way it works. That's the way the gospel works. Okay. And then um, I'm going to skip this because we're going over on time. Let me go to the final thing. Three steps which affirm. I'm going to even skip this stuff. Okay. All right. Let me ask you these questions and we'll wrap up. So let's summarize everything where we've been today. Number one question. Does sonship require all three traits? Obedience, love, and faith. And the answer is no. Does a rich, mature kingdom of heaven experience require all three traits? Yes. Yes. That's why we push it so hard. Not to get you to heaven. To get you the heaven on earth. The peace of heaven. That's why. Okay. Notice this. 1 Corinthians 13, 2-3. Though I prophesy, understand, have faith, feed the poor, sacrifice my body, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Here's someone with faith but not charity. Does that cost them heaven? Somebody? No. What does it cost them? Fellowship with the Lord. Romans 10.2, here's a bunch of Jews. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They're trying to worship God, but they're doing it dumb. They're doing it ignorantly. Does that, their ignorance cost them heaven? No, it costs them peace on earth, right? You knew this one was coming, James 2.15. Faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. So if you have faith and not the works, are you going to hell? The answer is no, but it's dead faith. Do you understand? It doesn't make you a child of God. It evidences you a child of God, and it costs you the peace on earth. And then the final one is in 1 John 3.14. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Eternal death? No. You're like a dead man walking. You're like the prodigal son, right? When he was in the pits. He was a son. At the end of it, he says, my son was dead, but he's alive again. He didn't get reborn again. The relationship was made alive again. That's what we're going for. 
Okay, so with that being done, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. Went to a lot of churches before I finally found a group of people that believe that way, that it's all of God. Do you understand? But what's not all of God is our walk and our relationship with here. We gotta push, we gotta strive, we gotta resist temptation because that relationship ebbs and flows with our behaviors. And that's what we preach. We preach the fellowship of God, not the sonship of God. It's so important. 